Nice job. Feel free to grab your seat. Encourage you to continue that conversation afterwards. Uh, hopefully you just met a new friend. So we'd love, love for you to continue that. We love, we love people here at Hope, getting to know other people. Uh, that's really important. So uh, we're glad you did that. Thanks for doing that. Uh, my name's Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church right here in Columbia Heights. Glad you're here. Thanks for being here with us. Excited that you're here. Um, and uh, yeah, excited. It's a really sweet day to be at Hope. Um, a few times a year, we go to Stan's pool down the road. We'll tell you more about that. And baptize people who have uh, made confessions of faith, who've said yes to Jesus. And we get to celebrate that together. So we're excited. All of you are invited and encourage all of you to come with us. Um, we're going to end our service by going down there together. So we'd love for you to walk on down to Stan's house or drive maybe and uh, baptize. And it looks like with the weather, we might all get baptized just a little bit. I'm, re- I'm very excited. These are such fun days, so excited for that. We got a few things to let you know about. We had a little family meeting. It's the end of our fiscal year, so if you're guests with us, you could kind of ignore this or maybe just listen to hear how we talk about this, but um, it is the end of our fiscal year, uh, which means we're ending our budget here just kind of this week, and so we wanted everyone just to know where we're at as a church, uh, just so we're all together in this. Um, we are part of three locations, and so our church here in Columbia Heights is connected to, to two other locations, one in downtown Minneapolis, one in Lower Town in St. Paul, downtown St. Paul. And as for all of our locations this week, we still were behind $168,000 and $57,000 came in, which is incredible. So we're closer and closer. And here in Heights, uh, we have already raised $20,000 this month, which is incredible, friends. Um, you're all so generous, and so we're still looking to get as close as we can here to our goal. So we'd love for you to be able to join us in doing that. We've been just uh, really, really blessed, even just how God has provided. It's, it's been very cool. Just this week alone, uh, $11,000 was given to, uh, to our location, which is really encouraging. Um, you can give at hopesuccee.com slash give. Uh, if you want to know more information in our weekly update, there's more also just on our website. You can learn more about, about how we think about giving and why give and Love to talk to you about that. Um, also really exciting, <clears throat> as last week we had a whole group of students here from Chicago. This week we have a whole new crew. You might have noticed people in matching t-shirts. Um, that wasn't just accidental. They're here together for our Apex Weeks. This is an organization through the Evangelical Free Church that helps partner churches with other churches to, in, in order to come and serve together. And so they're going to get a little taste of what it's like to serve in some of our partners and meet some of you uh, and, and just get a chance to hang out with, with Hopesters this week. We're very excited about that. And uh, just a few things so you're aware that all of you can join in on. Today we have our picnic tonight, and there'll be lots of high school students here to run around with kids. So please bring, if you want to run your kids around <laughs> before bedtime, which is kind of nice, uh, come over to the park. We're hoping, even if it's a little drizzly, I think this is still going to happen. Uh, everyone's invited to come. We have a, a potluck, and we'll cook stuff. It's great. It'll be great. So enjoy encourage you to come tonight. Uh, on Monday, we're headed to Seca, uh, which is our food shelf in time. A few of you joined us last time, and we got done like in half the time. They couldn't believe how much, how fast we were, and so they promised more. There'll be more work next week. Uh, so you guys get the benefit of being here. The week will have more work. Uh, we'd love for everyone and hope to join us. Anyone who wants to can come at three to Seca. Um, these are all in the app, all the, all in the events. And then also we served at the school this last week. If you notice when we came in, all the flower beds had no weeds. That was all me and a, and a whole bunch of other people. We spent the morning sweating and pulling weeds. Uh, 
so that a bunch of other people didn't have to. In, in a lot of the flower beds and all the schools, it was very, it was very sweet to get to do. It. And we got asked by many people, "Why in the world would you pull weeds at a school? Don't they have people that do that?" Uh, and we got to say, "Yes, we got to do it. We get to come." So excited to uh, get to do more of those things this week and partner with some of the people we love uh, with our Apex team. So just so everyone's aware, those are coming up. All right, spelling bees were my jam as we get into our sermon here this morning. And uh, for many years in my life, when I was young, I never got one wrong on a spelling test. Uh, You all receive emails from me now and know that that's not true anymore. But when I was young, uh, I took a lot of pride in my spelling bees. And so for for the first few years of elementary school, um, I got awards for never once missing a word on a spelling test. I, I mean, I remember this being a big deal in my house. I liked to even correct my parents when they spelled things wrong, which I'm sure they loved. Um, and it, it all changed one day. So one day, uh, whatever grade, we would have had these types of words. They're all food words, probably not very old. We had a spelling test, and I remember studying it with my dad. So we would we'd sit, and he would make flashcards, or he'd you know, say the word pizza, and I'd spell it back to him. Hamburger and I'd spell it back and we'd study. He really, he was like my coach. He wanted to coach me in spelling, which was great. And we got to a word, mashed potatoes. And my dad said, oh, they have it spelled wrong. It's smashed potatoes. Oh, that makes sense. It's probably just wrong. So I took my spelling test that week. And for the first time in my life, I got one wrong. In case you're not sure about this, it's not smashed potatoes. (laughs) It's smashed potatoes. Uh, the official spelling is with no S. And it's not a silent S. There's just no S. And I got my spelling test back to me, and I was devastated. I mean, I mean right? This was, this is, I'm the guy who always spells right, who wins spelling bees. And my teacher went, like, hey, great job. Only one wrong. And I went, no, 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 no. It's not okay. I missed one. And I mean, it was like the end of the world. I went home, I was so sad. And when my dad came home from work, I made sure he was aware that that was spelled incorrectly. And he said, oh, I was just messing around, right? It was like the greatest dad joke ever that he convinced me, used his, the trust I had for, in him. And I, I, mean, I, it like broke my heart. I now, in, I knew that for the rest of my life, I could never have a perfect spelling bee score. Like ne- I could never go back that I, I didn't realize at that time that like, you'll make plenty of mistakes, but I thought, I forever can't be undefeated in spelling bees. It killed me, it destroyed me. In fact, never again did I ask my dad to help me with my spelling. <laughs> he would say, I, that was just joking around that one time. I thought you were like, knew that it was smashed. It probably disappointed him that his son didn't catch on to that. <laughs> But I really, truly, he would want to help me. And then that like bled into other things. My dad's a, like an engineer. He's good at math. But I was like, I don't know, dad, because you're going to like do the smashed potato thing again on me in math. It still is a thing that comes up. I will still say to my dad, text my dad, smashed potatoes. Like he will text me, hey, we just bought a new washer and dryer. He texts me, hey, you should really look into this brand. I text back, smashed potatoes, just to indicate, yeah, nice try. <laughs> nice try. It like really affected me, right? There's something that happens to us when people uh, break trust with us, right? 
Or especially when you're young and a parent, something happens to you, and this is just like kind of goofy, right? I ended up actually missing lots of spelling words, and now I am so thankful for autocorrect. My documents are just lit up in red lines, and I go back and change them all. Um, But there's something when you're young and throughout your life that if you have people who maybe break trust with you, and it may be a lot harder situation or a lot more intense or maybe something that really hurts you, more than just a spelling test, getting one wrong on a spelling test. Those things affect you, right? And it affects even will you go back to that person? Can you trust that person? In our, in our family's story of adoption, we learned a lot about this. Some of the first times in my life I understood uh, this thing that we call attachment, where uh, if you're young and you're uh, hurt over and over again by a person, then it's hard to trust that person. Or if, if people leave you a lot in your life, then it's hard later in life because you've already established when you're young that people leave you. And so later when someone wants to connect with you, you go like, yeah, but my foundation of how the world works is that people leave me. So why would I want to connect with you? Maybe you feel this a little bit in your life or have have, uh, experienced this or even understand this. There's something about someone showing that they're broken or sinful or actually have hurt you that makes, that changes the rest of your relationship with the person. I think, and that changes how you approach that person, if you approach that person, and even if you approach other people in your life. You say, well, that kind of person doesn't follow through. That kind of person isn't here. Or that kind of person does this. And so we feel that over and over. I'm sure you feel that in your own life, maybe with a certain person or maybe that's trickled into other people. I think every year you get older, you have more experiences with that. And today, the passage we're gonna look at, I think is gonna speak to this. Jesus knows this about us. And he's gonna tell us a story and he's gonna remind us how this affects how we approach people all people, including our God. And so we are in a series this summer called Not Just Another Story. We're looking at moments where Jesus tells little stories or even the story might be about just Jesus and the Gospels. And we're gonna look at why this isn't just a a moral story. It's not just like a kid's story that tells us like a good lesson or how to try harder, how to do better. It's actually a story that reminds us of the reality of the kingdom of God and often reminds us of the really good news that we have a really good God. So today's story is the story of the wake-up call. And this is from Luke 11. So if you have a Bible, you like to read along or take notes, I encourage you to take that out. Or if you have a phone, or otherwise, I have all the passages up on the screen. I'm excited to tell you this story, uh, which is a story within a story. Jesus is going to tell us something that's going to remind us uh, of how good our, our God is and hopefully encourage you today. Let's read this together. This is Luke. Um, I'll read these up here. You can follow along. This is from Luke 11, just the beginning uh, of uh, Luke 11 in the Gospels here. And we actually, for weeks, have been going through uh, Luke because there's a lot of great stories in Luke and seeing how Jesus is unfolding this, uh, this calling us to this year of Jubilee has come, that this, someone has come to rescue, to heal, to, to bind up the wounded people. And he's gonna continue talking to his disciples and people around him. So here's what's happening in Luke 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus himself was praying. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus is praying and someone sees him praying. And that's a great question. Jesus, I want to pray like you pray. What, how, how, do you, how can I do that? And he said to them, well, when you pray, say this. Father, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. You might recognize this 
prayer that he gives them. It's a kind of shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. In other Gospels, we hear kind of a longer version of this, but it's ultimately this Lord's Prayer he gives us. Uh, Father, your name is holy. I want, I want your kingdom to come. I'm asking you to give me what I need just in my day. I need forgiveness of my sins. I have a broken relationship with you. Please also forgive the sins that I've committed. Um, ones against me even, and, and, and please lead me not in temptation. Please keep me from turning to things other than you. Right? This is a very simple, very great prayer. We could pray, and then he goes on actually, he's gonna explain to them like, what does it look like then to pray? These are words you could pray, but then maybe what does it actually look like? And he tells us a story about a wake-up call. Then Jesus says to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. So you just went to your friend's house at midnight and said, give me some bread. Uh, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. I, someone just came to my house and I need to feed them. Do you have some food that can help me feed them? And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. It's understandable. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So we're going to stop there. We're going to, we'll go on. But first, we're going to just think about this. Jesus tells a story about a person who has a friend come at midnight, and they need food, and they go to a different friend to ask for food. So this wouldn't actually have been that unheard of. In the, in the time that he would have been telling this story, um, this is a place in the world that's very hot, and often people even travel that night because it wasn't nearly as scorching and for someone to arrive in the middle of the night might have been because they're just traveling at night and they finally got to their destination late midnight and they were hungry and, and hospitality is so important to people in the Middle East culturally and also to a Jewish person that it would have been just unheard of to not offer something. We actually experienced this, this last week as we got to go uh, hang out with a bunch of Somali friends with Sadie. Uh, they just wouldn't stop giving us food. Just for them, so hospitality is, is such a high value. Of course, we're going to give you food and tea and coffee. And so he says, I got to give this person something to eat. They just come late. But he's woken this other friend up. This friend says, well, it's midnight. I've been sleeping. My door is locked. My children are in bed. And probably they, when he says my children are in bed, that probably means there might have been like one bed for the family. So they, when you say you're going to wake up my kids, it's because like we're all sleeping right here. And now you're waking us all up. And I've already locked the door. Like, we're already in bed. It's already night. I can't get up and give you anything. I'm going to wake up my children. And Jesus in this story says, well, I tell you that he might not want to give you anything, but if you keep asking, if you're persistent, if you have shameless audacity, that's how they say it in here, if, if you continue to ask, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Right? Maybe just because he's like, okay, 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 just get, take the bread so my kids don't wake up because I know how bad tomorrow will be if my kids are awake or just please leave us alone. So there's like this desire to be hospitable uh, and so you just don't stop. There's this shameless audacity, this persistence because you're not even worried how it would affect you or your relationship. you just like, I so need to feed these people. So he's telling this great story, right? If, can you imagine this wake-up call this person gets and then if they pers persistently ask, this person will eventually give them something. He's going to go on to explain, like, well, so why tell the story? So Jesus says then in verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
So he's saying, you should ask. When you're praying, you could pray these words and you should pray in this way. So here's, here's what you could say, but here's how you could say it. And he's saying, you should ask the Lord. You should seek him. You should knock. The door will be open. You should be persistent and feel like safe to go to him. And then he explains really kind of the whole story to us, which thankfully Jesus does a lot because sometimes we would have no idea, right? We, we'd miss it. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? So your son says, hey, I really need a fish. I'm, I'm hungry. Okay, here's a snake, which could kill you, right? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? That's very different. Eggs are very different than scorpions. Again, something that could kill you, right? Hurt you. Which father would give their son something that would hurt them or kill them if they needed something to eat? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here he is. He kind of gives us where he wants to point us today. He says, yeah, and you're, and you're evil. I love that he calls us call his people evil. And you're like evil fathers and you give really good gifts. Imagine how much your holy, loving, good father in heaven will give you. Why, why aren't you coming to your father? Why aren't you moving towards him? Are you worried he's going to give you scorpions and snakes? Even you, even you broken, sinful fathers don't do that to your children. Imagine your father in heaven, what he would give to you. You could, you could come to him and, and ask and be bold in how you ask. And he's even willing to give you the Holy Spirit like himself. The thing that will satisfy you and bring you joy, the thing that will actually uh, feed you spiritually, ho holistically. And so this is a passage that if we're not careful now, as we move into what, what do we do with this, this is a passage that I think we could go, okay, I walk away and I take a note and I go, Drew, you gotta pray more and pray with shameless audacity. And I'd probably write a note like, look up what those words mean. <laughs> or I maybe go like, audacity looks spelled incorrectly. I better check on that. And I'd type it in and the red line wouldn't come up so I would know <laughs> it wasn't. I think here, here's what he's highlighting. He's highlighting that I think I come to the Lord thinking you're maybe not trustworthy you're going to tell me smashed potatoes is right, even though it's not. You're going to, you want to trick me or use me or hurt me. And Jesus is saying, when we don't have a right view of God, we maybe view him as an evil father who wants to hurt us, then that affects all the things, and especially it affects how we would go to him. It affects the words we would ask him, what we'd ask him to do, and also it affects uh, how often we even would go to him, even how persistent we would to be with him. And so this passage is helping us understand, it's a little quiz for all of us, my prayers are answered because, is it because you go enough? Is, this the, is the passage the goal to say, if you prayed more with shameless audacity, then God would give you whatever you wanted? No, the passage, uh, the prayer, our prayers are answered because of God, because of who it is that we go to, the person we go to, not because of smashed potatoes. This is a really important thing something I think is so vital to all of our behavior and, and even like our decisions spiritually. I think even my spiritual disciplines, why I'm reading the Bible, why I'm praying, why I'm serving people, why I'm loving those around me, why I'm even willing to proclaim gospel or share gospel. 
often comes down to this. This is going to be really simplified, but it comes down to this. This kind of core of who we are, right? So this is, this is an order of how we do things. So if we understand who God is, actually who God is, his character, who he is, his love, his peace, his patience, his wrath, all those things, then that actually can affect who we are, understand who we are, and it affects what we do. So I'd say this is how the gospel works in us. This is what Jesus, is, I think, is highlight. One of the things he's trying to highlight here, right? He's trying to say, remember who our God is. He's a good father who loves you dearly, who wants to give you the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you his spirit. The spirit that we hear in Romans raises people from the dead. He wants to raise you from the dead. And if that's true, then what does that mean for me? That means that defines who I am now. If we start there, who is God? That changes my desires and how I feel, how I believe, what I believe about myself and others. I start seeing people as image bearers of God. I start seeing sin as something that keeps me away from God, something I don't want to turn to. It sees me as wanting to cling to Jesus. It sees that I'm not the one who fixes everything. And that's really okay. It changes my desire for what, what I'm going to do in life, in my future, and right here in this moment. It changes who I am. And then out of that, when I know who God is and who I am, then that makes me move towards an action that I do in my life. Often, right, we might look around and you see what people are doing, which is just like the shell, right, of it? The shell of this onion of like, I see their behavior and then I'm going to judge all these things on who they are, but we don't really know the, the core of what they believe. And for us here today, we want to say, Ultimately, what we believe comes out of who God is and what he's done. And so if you go the other way, this is what we might call religion. So I do something, and whatever I do now defines who I am. That now gives me an identity, what I'm doing, and then I then get to decide who God is. And sometimes those get fuzzy, and that middle kind of becomes one thing, because I start going, maybe I am God. Maybe I am the divine one who decides things. And so I'd say this, this happens in spelling bees. Uh, not long after my mashed potato incident, which will be one of the chapters in my book someday. <laughs> Shape me. Uh, I was in a spelling bee, and it was the first time that I got out right away. I mean, this is like crying ran out of the cafeteria. I spelled the word through instead of the word though. Can you believe it? I added an R devastated, right? So I run out into the hallway. I'm like, I mean, I'm weeping because my life is over. It's my dad's fault for not to do this thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm, my dad was there and I didn't want to talk to him. Uh, and I, my first feeling in that moment is like, you're worthless, Drew. You're terrible. You're never going to get into college. I'm in fourth grade, right? Like, what do you think? I'm more, You've just changed the rest of your life. Because you spelled, you added an R to though, and now it's a different word through, you now have changed. You're not, you're probably not going to finish school. Should I, even, should I even go to fourth, fifth grade? Like, is it worth it? Really, all this, uh, and then uh, like in that, you start believing like, who, who am I? And then is there even God? Like if God cared about me, he would have let me win the spelling bee. All these things, right? That's just like a moment where I feel those things, but I'm sure you felt those, right? Something happens, you do something, and then it changes like, now who am I? Where if the other way around, right? The gospel is that this is who our God is, and this is who he tells you you are. It's incredible when we open scriptures and know who we are, and that changes what we do, that changes what our identity is, and out of that identity now, we become people who have changed lives. This is what we see over and over in the Gospels. 
people's lives change because they meet Jesus. He changes them. The Holy Spirit changes them. And now they're doing different things. A man named Paul goes from killing Christians to meeting Jesus and now being willing to be killed to proclaim the gospel. You see people change from being ones who take money, uh, a short man who's in a tree who meets Jesus, who's one who's known for taking money and he meets Jesus and that day he says, I'm gonna give all that money back and more. The generosity like flips because now he knows who God is and who he is and it changes his action. This is really important. I think Jesus wants to know like the, the reason we pray the way we pray is, is because of how we view our God. And we ultimately view the gifts that he's given us. I guess Tim Keller passed away recently, but someone's still posting stuff on for him. Uh, or maybe from heaven. Maybe he's got Facebook in heaven. I don't know. Um, he just said, this just this week hit me as I read this. Describe the God you've rejected. Describe the God you don't believe in. Maybe I don't believe that God either. I think it's, how true is that? I don't. If I don't want to approach God often because I believe, I'm believing God is someone who he actually isn't. And how do we know that? We know that because of a, a million stories as we open the scriptures, that we have a God that over and over is faithful to his people, that even as his people, he creates his people and as they become unfaithful and turn away from him, he still pursues them. Even as they sin over and over against him, he still pursues them. Even as they're in a lion's den and they should be killed, he protects them. Even as they're sold into slavery, he uses them and protects them. And then he sends his, his little son, his baby son, into the world to rescue all of his people, even, the, even these sinners, all of them, to rescue them and give them life. We have a good father that does give us good gifts and gifts we don't deserve. We kind of deserve scorpions. And God instead sends his son. And a verse, right? A lot of us know because it's such a good verse to know. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gifted his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That alone, if you woke up every day and read this and actually believed each of these words, if I believe that God did not come to condemn me but to save me, that would change that makes me want to go to him over and over and say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. My friend needs you. Because I would be reminded of God and his good gift. And as, as we finish here, just so that we don't become people who just say, like, you got to pray better. We become people who are changed by encountering Jesus and that would cause us to want to pray differently. We got to remember the greatest gift, right? The greatest gift of all in Jesus. The thing that we could never have done that we asked for and even many of us did not ask for. We actually said, God, I don't need you. And he said, you do. And as a good father would say, I, you do. And, and I'm gonna come and rescue you even as you turn away from me. We wanna remind ourselves that the great gift that, Jesus, that God gave us is through Jesus on a cross that rescued us from sin and death and that now empowers us to do all things through God, empowers us to even pray to him with shameless audacity because we have a father who deeply loves us. And so the view you have of God is gonna deeply affect why you're gonna pray to God and who you're gonna pray to. Today, we're actually gonna sing a song at the end. Um, and in the chorus of that song, we, we over and over get to yell out that God is faithful. That's so important. We know we go to a faithful God who loves us deeply. As we end here, just a little quote from our friend R.C. Sproul. 
I'm loving this picture of him by the board. I'm going to keep using this. He just says this about, about this passage. Consider the riches we have lost from our father's house because we have simply failed to ask for them. So often our prayers are so nebulous, so general. I think I do that because I don't feel like I necessarily know the father I'm going to or I even believe he's good. I just say, like, hey, God, if you're like good, maybe, maybe this helps stuff. He says, well, in this passage, Jesus seems very specific, very persistent. Those kinds of prayers hardly encourage us to come back for other prayers. Is the person who prays specifically who has the blessed experience of seeing prayers answered, and this encourages more specific prayer. He's encouraging us. Not only does us starting with who God is and moving towards him and being specific, that actually will encourage us to pray more because we'll get to see more of our good God and more of his good gifts and be reminded of his faithfulness as we pray. So today's story, as we understand, Jesus encourages us that we can pray with shameless audacity, not because we were supposed to, but because we have a good God, a really good father who wants us to come to him, who wants us to move forward and has given us the greatest gift of all. I'm going to invite our worship team up, and we're going to take some time to respond. Here at Hope, we, um, we like to respond to the gospel in a few different ways. Um, these are different ways in our room that you get to experience that, and also uh, together and kind of individually even. And so first, we have an opportunity to just respond with communion, um, and that's out in the hallway here at Hope. You don't have to be a member of Hope to take communion. Uh, we just ask that you're a follower of Jesus to take communion. Uh, it's an opportunity to remember his body broken, his blood shed, which was the act that he did in order to make things right so that we would not be sent to death but instead have life through him. And so every week we get to do that. You just go out in the hallway with, encourage you to do that or do that with some friends and be able to pray together and take communion. Um, we also encourage us to sing. We're gonna sing some songs to remind us of this good news, uh, this great news that we have and a good God that's given us great gifts. Encourage you to do that. Sometimes we're singing here, not even just for yourself, right? You're singing because the person next to you might need to hear you say those words that God's faithful. There's days I need other people to tell me that. There's also people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. So please stop by. They would love to pray anything for you. You can even just ask, I just need prayer. I don't want to talk about it. And they would love to pray for you. You can also give a way to respond to the gospel and God's generosity is, is uh, in generosity. And so you can do that online. Also, we have a little black box at our communion table out back if you want to do that. Um, we'd love for you to be able to do that with us. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna just start a time of gospel response. At the end of our service, we're gonna have a chance to actually hear a little bit from our people getting baptized before we go baptize them. So there's still lots to come. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your goodness, that you are a good father who has given us the great gift of Jesus that has rescued us from sin, rescued us from death, and not just rescued us, but you promised to give us the Holy Spirit that you're with us, so near to us. And with that comes all the fruit of that spirit. I pray those would fill us and overflow from us and that would change how we move through the world, how we interact those around us. I pray now as we worship you that these words would be true, that you would heal our hearts and our minds as we say these words of good news. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Amen.